You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. In the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Church, you can have a seat. Good morning. Resurrection. Happy Epiphany Tide. If you joined us last night, you know what that's about. Uh, about lost my voice last night. If you don't know what that's about, I feel really bad for you because it was, it was unbelievable. It was a lot of fun. Everybody have a good time last night? Man. Well, we, uh, we have sung our, and celebrated our way through Christmas Tide, and now we're entering into Epiphany. And you notice that we still have the icon of the Nativity. How long does Christmas Tide drag out? Well, basically, the entire Christian year is rela- in, related to Jesus. And that's why we go through the Christian years, because we want to walk the life of Jesus with him. And Epiphany is no exception to this. Epiphany is this wonderful season where we get to remember the often forgotten three magi who traveled from so far, following a star, finding God in this most obscure and hidden place in a manger. And so this year, as with Epiphany and this coming year, our prayer would be, God, would you lead us to seek you out in those hidden places in our life this year? So that's our prayer. Um, So join us in Epiphany as we continue to celebrate. That's the theme. You guys can inhabit that well, right? Like so many others, though, at this time of the year, we're also uh, struck by this sense of a fresh start. Like, it's, it's a clean slate, folks. I'm going to set some goals. Uh, things are going to, like the 2018 version of myself, it's going to be, like, so much better. It's going to be so good. So we have our resolutions. Anyone have resolutions? I stopped doing resolutions. No one has resolutions. Good for you guys. Way to, like, have no ambitions for the new year. Man, that's all right. Well, it's good. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's good or not, but let me, maybe, maybe this morning can help us in setting some goals for the new year. I'm, 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 I'm inviting you all to pay attention and say, Lord, what is it you're asking me to do as I posture myself for this new year? What's the goal you have for me? So pay attention for that. Um, every year, though, we might come up with something that may make us smarter, may make us better looking, may help our career. It's just going to, like, improve us. It's going to make us stronger in some sense, like exercise, yoga pants sales must be nuts in Epiphany Tide, or I don't, I don't think that's what they say in their marketing meetings, like <laughs> Epiphany Tide, but yoga pants must be on, on top shelf, high demand right now. Goals are super wonderful. They're good. I set goals. We ought to set goals. Our leaders and I discern the aim for res every year. God, what are you doing? What's the goal for us? Where are we heading? Nothing wrong with goals at all. But we, we'd have to ask a question, what's motivating the goals that we set? What's behind the thing? What's like pushing us towards these goals? What is it? Is it greed? Is it something kind of selfish, self-centered? Is it maybe a, a, a self-esteem matter? I want to feel better about myself, so I'm going to like do something about that. Is it anxiety that drives us? The stuff that keeps us up at night? That, is that the stuff that's the fuel for these goals that we have for the coming year? If we're all honest, I think if we, there's some of that, right? Or is it hope, maybe? Maybe some of you guys have like some really good goals and they're driven by hope, some expectation, maybe some peace that you're anticipating, some joy that you see coming that you just can't wait for. So you have these goals, this anticipation of the goodness of God coming to you in 2018. What drives our goals as we set them in the new year? And even more so, when I ask about 
our goals and we talk about the motivations behind those goals, the reason it's important so much to talk about the motivations for our goals is because these are the things that actually form us into the kinds of people that we're gonna become. The kinds of people that we're going to become. Our motivations have everything to do with that. So when we ask ourselves, what's behind the goal? We're really asking, Lord, what kind of person am I gonna become in this new year? When Jesus came to the water, how are you gonna connect these, Sean? Well, check this out. When Jesus comes to the water, John, give me a second. John the baptizer comes to John. He comes to the Jordan River. What is coming to fulfillment in this moment is an eternal aim of God. Thank you, John. Somebody say it. You can do that here, by the way. You can say amen. Yeah, let's hear it. That's a good one, too. Or preach, you know. Tell the truth. I'm telling the truth. Here we go. What's coming to, to fruition, this, this really bizarre moment of Jesus coming to the Jordan out in the wilderness with this guy dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, baptizing people. Jesus comes. What's happening is this fulfillment of God's goals that were determined long before 2018 or even the first century when, when this was actually happening, history. Before eternity, before time was a thing, God set this goal, this aim about. And in this moment, we get to see with our own eyes the longing of God coming to pass. The thing he has been longing and hoping and willing to come is now brought into the picture for everyone to see it. So I want to invite you this morning, let's see this sight that's before us. Check this out. From the beginning, God spoke and created all things, right? We heard the reading from Genesis. He spoke all things into existence. To the prophets who pointed to the coming of this day, the, all the prophets that God sent were pointing ahead to this moment. Even the life of Noah is brought to perfection in this baptism scene. Really, Sean? Yeah. It's like this whole vortex of scripture intersects in the life of Jesus and especially at this baptism moment. The Exodus, for instance, the journey of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, what river did they cross when they entered into God's promised land? The Jordan. Even this storyline is intersecting, cutting right through this baptism scene, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, to finally enter into the land of God's promise. And did you know that the Gospels tell us that when Jesus went out to the wilderness, he crossed over the Jordan so that he could re-enter the land just as Israel did in his baptism? Wow, there's so much happening in this one moment. So much of God's goals, his aims, were now in this Jordan River moment, out in the middle of nowhere, being accomplished, being fulfilled. Can we experience this together, the baptism of the Lord. I know some of us have heard this story so many times, um, but I, when I was preparing for this, I'm like so excited to preach about this. And, I, and for me, I got to actually, looking at it afresh, I got to enter into it afresh. And I want to invite you, let's, let's place ourselves on the riverbanks and experience this thing that's about to happen. And in doing so, I, you know what we're going to see? You know what we're going to hear? You know what we're going to experience? We're going to experience the aims of God being fulfilled in the person of Jesus and his baptism. So if that's the goal, let's, just, let's start with the most perplexing question I get every time when we talk about the baptism of Jesus. Why is Jesus being baptized? If this is a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, is Jesus being baptized for the forgiveness of sins? What sins? 
Oh, good question, Rez. Good, good job. Have you ever wondered that? I've, I wondered that. My kids ask me that kind of stuff. If Jesus is without sin, already God, why would he need to enter the waters of forgiveness? Well, um, by the way, time out. Anytime I mention an early church father, I don't do it to sound smart to you all. I don't feel the need to impress you. Um, I think, I don't think I feel that need. I love y'all. But the reason I quote the fathers, and this is like a good timeout, is because when we come up to interpretive questions like this in the Bible, there's a little bit of like kind of who cares what Sean thinks about this. What has the church always understood about this? And so when I appeal to the fathers, basically these people of some strange uh, place or name, you'll, you'll recognize them like Gregory of Nazianzen. You know that's not a contemporary. This is a father, and I'll usually mention that. But in doing so, what I'm trying to do is posture us and teach us how to interpret the Bible with the church. These are the early church fathers. These guys have amazing insight into the scriptures. So why does Jesus need to be baptized? Well, Gregory Nazianzus, early church father, tells us he needed no purifying rites himself. Listen to this. His purpose was to hallow water. Think of this. Jesus entered the water not to be cleansed himself, but to cleanse stuff. Water, creation. That's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Track with me. I know this is a little bit of like theology, but we're all theologians. We're Christians. We got to be. The material body of the living God, Jesus incarnate, the Logos incarnate in Christ, Jesus, enters the womb of creation in the waters. Think Genesis. How did God create all things? In the beginning, there's this watery abyss, right? This nothingness. And Jesus, the incarnate God, the material God, enters into the material created order, the womb itself in his baptism. Why? To be forgiven? No, to make the thing holy. By his contact, by his physical touch, by his presence, This is strange. Christianity is so material, Sean. It is. Stuff matters in our faith. God makes it holy. So rewind back to last night. We're blessing beer. We're blessing chalk. We're spraying water on human bodies, asking for God's blessing. That's totally in keeping within the Christian tradition. Why? Well, let's blame it on Jesus. He cares for stuff. He took on the flesh of humanity and enters in the womb of creation to make it holy, to make it good. Things can be holy. I know for some of us who come from different Christian traditions, we might say we believe that, but it's a totally different thing to actually practice this and believe it. When you dip your hands in the water, you make the sign of the cross on your body, like this, these physical means of us realizing that God has made things holy and sacred. What a mystery. And yet, this is what the body, the incarnate body of Jesus does. It makes things holy. So when I reach into the water at baptism, you notice, I'll stick my hand in the water and make the sign of the cross. It signifies, not that Sean's hand is like special powers, but it signifies the body of the Lord entering into the water, touching it with his own body and making it holy, sacred, blessed water. That's, isn't that a bit of a trip? Goodness gracious. So when fathers and mothers, when you place your hands on your children, you say, God bless these children. There's something to the touch, right? 
put your hands on your children and bless them. This may be a hard thing for some of us to square with. I get it. And I'm sympathetic. Trying to take it nice and easy here this morning. It's early. I get it. We'll have coffee later and it all makes sense. That God makes things holy, makes stuff holy. But check this out, folks. This is his aim. This is his goal. His resolution before all of eternity was put into motion to hallow all creation, to make it all holy, all bodies, your body, to make it holy, to make it sacred through living contact with Jesus. That you would be with him just in your hearts. Yes, the Lord is in our hearts, but he wants your bodies as well, body and soul, to be in contact with him. When Jesus comes out of the water, scripture tells us, now you thought that was a trip, check this out. Scripture tells us that he saw the heavens torn apart. Scripture's word here is so violent, it's this ripping, this tearing apart, and the spirit descending like a dove on the Lord. Were the heavens shut before this? Perhaps they were, out of reach, inaccessible to us. Perhaps he was bringing this alienated world, this creation, these people, all of humanity, that is, these these children without a father, he's bringing them into the presence of God, bringing them under the banner of the Father's adoption of all people, of all creation. cosmic reconciliation as big a scale of reconciliation as you can imagine that's what's happening here when the lord comes out of the water sees the heavens ripped open almost violently the visible the invisible the things we can't see heaven and earth were being made one again made whole again another church father check this out hippolytus writes this is fourth century the heavenly realm was filled with joy The diseases of earth were healed, secret things made known, those at enmity restored to amity, that the heavenly chamber should open its glorious gates. And then, if that wasn't enough, the spirit descends like a dove, scripture says, just like with Noah and the ark. You remember that dove? That signaled that the flood was over that God cleansing the earth in this watery grave of baptism back then is now over and now life is springing forth and God sends the sign of a dove. What a trip that God sends a dove, the, the spirit in the form of a dove here at the baptism of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who signals the watery grave is over. There's new life coming forth. This, this one who's standing, by the way, if you don't believe in the Trinity, I remember in college uh, talking, I think it was, is it Jehovah's Witness? They don't, I think so. Yeah, one of, the, one of those cults. Um, they, they were like, you, how do you believe in the Trinity? Where's that in the Bible? I'm like, have you ever read the baptism of Jesus? Like, read the Bible. If you're ever wondering how the Trinity came about, how the early church looked and said, oh, we got a Trinity, is because they looked at scenes like this and saw the voice of the Father, the Spirit in the form of a dove and the incarnate Son in the water. All three, all one. What a mystery. This one in the water, Jesus, is the one who will steer all of creation from its total shipwreck toward the perfect aims and goals of God's restoration 
and renewal. Amen. This is the one who's going to right the ship, who's going to send us into the presence of God to make us one with him. Again, the things we long for day in and day out. Lord, we want to be with you. We want things made right. We want justice. We want goodness. We want mercy. What we want is to be in the presence of God. We cannot find our way apart from this one who will now captain the ship of all of creation, Jesus the Messiah. You got me preaching now. And from the heavens comes a voice, the same voice that spoke, let there be light. This same voice, the psalmist says, watch out, be careful with this voice, it's powerful. It's full of majesty. His voice, the psalmist says, breaks the cedars of Lebanon, the unbreakable things, the strongest things. This voice can break and snap in an instant without effort. And this is the voice that shakes the wilderness and it shakes this wilderness too at the Jordan River, doesn't it? But now the voice comes from heaven and announces something else, something of Christ. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased, says the voice. The spoken, audible word of God, the voice of God aimed at the visible word of God in the incarnate Jesus. And the spirit descending like a dove, the Trinity, the fullness of the Trinity revealed to us in this theophany. That's a big word. This just remain, it just means the sight of God. Why? Why? Why all this? Shock and awe? Does God need to impress us? Was this for God's sake? Why interact with the visible, audible, material world? But for our sake. Doesn't that make sense? Do you think God needs to do this to understand who he is? Not at all. What an act of mercy. God, show yourself. God, give me a sign. How do I know you exist? All of your prayers about, like along those lines, they're answered, folks. Here it is. Glad you asked. God gives us this sight that we would see and know that Jesus is the aims of God for all of eternity come to completion. This water of the, the Jordan points forward to the grave he will suffer in the cross. When he enters into the water, it points forward to that moment when he will die on the cross and be buried in the tomb, in the grave. And his coming out of the water points forward likewise to that moment when Jesus will come out of the grave in his resurrection on Easter. That's why this baptism is the resolution of all eternity. How's that for a resolution? Drawing all things through death to life in himself. And this, this invitation, this kind of resolution, it not only like puts to shame all of our resolutions in some way, you gotta admit, right? A little bit, like wow, that's a, that's a big one. But our whole life now has to be lived as Christians in reference to this resolution that we see in Jesus. Our whole life, that's what it means to be a Christian. This invitation is, hey folks, res, live according to this Messiah to this work of God who comes to make things holy. He comes to make you holy. This invitation is for you, not just to watch, but to enter into. He comes to you to enter your life, the one you have now that you're living right now with all of your drama and all of your complexities and all that stuff that's going on. This life, this is the one that is being invited to come close in contact with the risen Lord Jesus. He wants to make you holy. He wants to make the stuff of you holy. He wants to give you actual new life. 
And he wants to fill you with his spirit. That's the invitation that we have. Church, this is why all of us, this is why people come to the waters of baptism. This is why we're baptized, to enter into this life. Not to watch it as a spectator, but, or to find some happiness of life, like apart from God, as if that's somehow sustainable or possible. But in baptism, we come close, we enter into this mystery to witness what Jesus has done. And in so doing, you'll notice before we baptize anyone, there's like this, this examination, it's called, where we go, hey, let's just get on the same page here. To enter into this promise, you're going to have to let go of your other aims that compete with it. Do you repent? Do you turn away from the devil? Do you turn away from evil? Do you turn away from those habits that are killing you? I do. Okay. Then you can take on this new aim of God in baptism. You can abandon all other aims. That's called repentance. When we abandon those evil aims, those selfish, self-centered aims, and we take on the aims of Jesus, this is repentance. This is becoming a Christian and living our lives accordingly. What can we accomplish, friends? Just time out for What can we accomplish over here with our aims that is going to be better than what the Lord has accomplished for us already? What do we think we can strategize in our own planning in our own like smarts, in our own wisdom that the Lord hasn't already accomplished and invited us into, and even better, to be honest. Like everything we can do over here, it pales into comparison to this gift that Jesus invites us into, amen? It's true. And you all are living witnesses. You've tried it over here. And until you come in contact with Jesus, you don't realize like how lame this is over here, how unfulfilling, how on the way to death this is until we come in contact with this one who is redeeming all of creation, Jesus. This morning, I wanna invite us, as we bear witness to this baptism of the Lord, not just to go, wow, that's cool, how wonderful, but to actually respond with repentance, to lay aside our false, godless aims, those self-centered things that we want to do to kind of bolster ourselves, to lay those aside, or at least, they're not all evil, I know that, but at least put them in perspective with what Jesus is actually inviting us into in this new year, to let that be our first aim in determining all other aims in our life, right? Can we be the church this year who lives our life in reference to this one who's redeeming us, and then everything else comes second, or third, or fourth, or even not even on there? Let's come to worship the son who was actually sent to save us from ourselves. Let's lift praise to the one in response to the baptism. The one who brings us joy, lasting and eternal joy. The one who has filled the whole world with his radiant light and hope and makes us and all of creation holy in the waters of baptism. Church, let's take a moment to be quiet, and I want to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, breathe life into us, and guide us as we look forward to this new year, asking for the invitation of the Lord. Let's take a moment. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.